no better expression from any heart than to give thanks to him for what he's done. Amen. He's been so good, so faithful, so true. We've seen his majesty working out his wonderful purposes. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. That means he doesn't share the kingdom, nor the power, nor the glory with anyone else. It's his. He owns it, he rules it, and he's going to keep it. And that's the truth. And we always want to remember that. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Don't ever try and borrow it. Forever it will be, it shall be, it was, and ever will be. His. That's why we love him and adore him. For his overall. We're going to go on now with uh, Romans chapter 6. You remember we haven't got very far really. We're down to... We did verse 11, and I'll just remind you of it by reading it. Verse 11, 12, 13, and 14, we're going to talk about. Likewise, reckon or conclude you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the last thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Amen. Well, I want to go on this morning and just talk about verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, the key word in that verse is what? Who knows what the key word is? Pardon? Well, some say let, some say rain, some say sin, some say let not. Mortal, hmm? body. Well, the one word you've left out is therefore. Therefore is the key word. Now that is why many Christians, when they come to read a verse, get totally confused. Uh, Paul always says something, and, and I, as I said before, when you come to do geometry, you put three dots which stand for therefore, you put an argument, and then you put three dots, and that means therefore, and you're going on. And this therefore in verse 12 is a key ver word in understanding what he's saying. You see, if you take verse 12 on its own, or verse 11, as the evangelicals wickedly do, but verse 
12 on its own and don't realize that verses 1 to 11 are the reasons why verse 12 has a therefore. Therefore let not sin. Why? Because of the things that have gone before and that we know and have been established in us, therefore we're not to let sin reign in our mortal bodies. You understand? So I need to know what went before and what the truth is about me before in order that I might not let sin reign. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the therefore is a conclusion that is come to. You remember reckon was a conclusion. Now in verse 12 we go from the factual, the truth, into the experimental. And verse 12, 13, 14, uh, we're talking about the experimental experience. Now, uh, before we were talking about the truth as it is in Christ. And now, because it's true in Christ, because that's true of us, therefore, now we can do things. God has done his part, therefore, we must do ours. And... It's a key to understanding this chapter, really, if you miss out the word therefore. Now, it's strange, isn't it, that uh, therefore and henceforth and hitherto and forthwith and all those words are, are, are always ignored. You kind of just read them very glibly and you don't think what they're saying. All right? So, therefore is the key word. Now, because, therefore means that because of the things that have gone before, these things in this verse are possible. Do you understand what I'm saying? Verse 1 to 11 has explained our doctrinal position. My doctrinal position is, I was crucified with Christ, I was buried with him by baptism into death, I was raised to walk in newness of life, I am out of the tomb, my old man was crucified with Christ and no longer exists. I have been totally delivered from the sin nature of the Adamic nature that I was in my first birth and I'm now unified and brought into union with Jesus Christ. Therefore, because those things are true, don't let sin reign. That's what it's saying. Now once you understand that, you understand the other things are true through what Christ has done. Because they're true of us, because we've truly been born of God's Spirit, therefore we're not to let sin reign in our mortal body. Now why has he come to the therefore? Well, the therefore is really explaining the argument that was in verse 1. And you all remember the argument that was in verse 1, but I'll remind you for those who do remember it, but have just let it slip their memory. Uh, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he goes on to say, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, or have died to sin is the Greek, live any longer therein? Amen. We're dead. We've died to sin. We have died to sin. We have died. That's the person we are, has died to sin. I'm totally dead to sin. Amen. You're dead to sin. That's what Paul said. How shall we that are dead to sin? And then he goes on and he explains why we're dead to sin. Because our old man 
Our old Adamic nature has been dealt with in Jesus Christ. We're totally delivered. Gone forever. Crucified and gone. Buried with him in baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead, we also ought to walk in newness of life. Amen? Raised up. And made to seat with him, sit with him. Our conversations in heaven. We've been through all those things. Now those are true. That's truth. Now that is our positional position. That is the truth that is the, as it is in Christ and nothing can change it. Nothing that I do, nothing that I say can change the truth as it is eternally in Christ. If so be I've truly been baptized in the Spirit into his body, into his death, into his resurrection and am living and am truly converted. Of course, I do want to say here, and this is something that you must realize, that there are people that take those truths and believe they've happened to them when they haven't. If you do not know the power of sin broken, the inward drives of sin broken in the spirit realm, you aren't born again and you're not a Christian. And that's fact. And you see, that is one of the big... Uh, bones of contention. There are so many people that name the name of Christ who haven't departed from iniquity. And they're still in their old Adamic nature. Well, that isn't a Christian. I'm talking about born-again, regenerate people uh, who have had that deliverance within. Amen. When you gave your heart to Jesus Christ and you believed and you laid hold of him and you knew your sins forgiven, you knew you were washed in the precious blood and you knew the power of sin broken inside and you knew you were dead to sin and alive unto God now that is new birth and um, now that doesn't mean as I said before that all the habits the outward habits will automatically vanish they take time but your inside's dead the power of sin's not operating your outside habits you have to amend and some of us have to amend more than others and it takes time to amend and we need deliverance from the enemies that are in our soul that, that rule through our bodies and those need to be driven out and we need to take possession of our possessions as we've talked about before but uh, we are delivered spirit and soul from the dominion and reign and rule of sin once and forever dead to sin alright now we're going on because that's so Paul says, therefore, because that's so, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You understand? So it's because of our position, we mustn't do that. He's going on with the argument that the, um, uh, had happened in the Corinthian church and also in the Roman church where they had said, let us sin that grace may abound. And, you know, there is a, a doctrine, I mean, that wicked man, Gerald Coates, and he is wicked, wrote a book, Not Under Law, Under Grace, and he totally denigrated the grace of God, and what he preached was antinomianism. It was uh, free grace. Nothing sin any longer, if you read him. That's why he can wear skin-tight jumpers and fancy pants and look, you know, the wrong side of morality. I can't go along with that. That is absolutely and utterly of the devil. And I want to make it 
plain, it's a devilish doctrine. Anyone that says that um, compromises and says that sin is a permissible thing is preaching a doctrine of demons. We are not permitted to sin. What? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And he does too. <laughs> Never let it be was what it said in the Greek, but God forbids it. Translators have really put it better. In that sense, God totally forbids it. How dare someone suggest it? I find that uh, liberalism and, uh, and the attitude of charismatics that think that they're all right and will go around singing and dancing, Hallelujah, I'm saved, glory, glory, and isn't it wonderful, and Jesus is great. And, and really, there's no sanctification, no dealing of God inside. It is an awful thing, a wicked thing, because God came to deliver us, and Jesus died to set us free from sin. And if you know that, you won't want to go on living in it. What? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. And then Paul goes on, argues our position, and now comes on to our experimental experience. Therefore, because those things are true, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. All right? Now I'm going to explain what it means. Because that's what you need to know. Now, two things you need to, three things you need to make in the note of about doctrine. Uh, doctrine has always to be applied. And you'll find if verses 1 to 11, our understanding of it, doesn't tie in with the experimental experience as it's written down, in the epistles you'll find often they speak sometimes things which are doctrinal and other times things which are experimental. Now if my true understanding of the uh, doctrinal is right, then it will fit in with what Paul teaches experimentally and there won't be one contradiction on one side as against the other. Now that's where you can often spot error. There are people who have a doctrine uh, of one thing, but when you look at them experimentally, it doesn't work. Now what you know is that they totally misunderstand the doctrine because there should be a correlation of the two. They should always flow in union. So when I meet people who have a, a doctrine that's very fine, but experimentally it's up the creek without a paddle, I know that there's something wrong. Now Jesus explained it in this way. If you just look with me into John's Gospel, chapter 13, you'll find um, in John 13, verse 17, these words. John 13, And I, I, well, I'll take verse 16. Truly, truly, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you. If, if you do them. Now, I can know truth, but I'm not going to be happy if I don't do it. And Jesus said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And 
I know that I'm, I've taken the, the verse out of context. I haven't taken all the context there, but it's a principle in the spiritual. If you know him, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. And I always need to know that it's not just knowing truth, it's doing it, living it, that w is what counts in a life. And you need to understand that. And um, we need to realize that there are some people who, uh, two categories of people in this area, there are the people who don't believe in doctrine. You begin to talk to them about doctrine and, Oh, hallelujah, brother, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. Um, you know, I don't, I don't understand these doctrines and these complicated things. I, I just believe God and Jesus is wonderful and oh, hallelujah. You know, you don't need to understand those things. I'm just a simple Christian, you know. Let's be simple. Let's keep it simple. Let's be simple. Simple Simon, Metapimon uh, type idea. And these simple people, well, of course, Proverbs warns us against simple people. There's a simplicity in Christ, but that is not what simple means. The simplicity in Christ is a very different thing. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth has doctrine in it. Jesus said, my doctrine is not my own. It's him who sent me. It's his doctrine. Now, if Jesus needed to know doctrine, I need to know it too. Don't I? And so let's beware of the people who are the practical people who get on with the job but don't bother about doctrine. They're dangerous people. They're lunatics. Because they're going about chasing a false light. A lunatic, someone who lives under the moon, and the moon's only a reflection of the sun, you see. Lunatic. And that, that's why you want to watch those people. They're chasing a reflection. They're not following the true Christ of God. And they say doctrine's unimportant. They're dangerous. Now, the other people are even more dangerous, uh, and, but there are fewer in number, fortunately. They're the people who study doctrine for doctrine's sake and don't believe in practical living. You know, they'll go and they'll become professors um, or they'll become long-haired layabouts, you know, studying the scriptures and understanding God's word and, uh, and they fill themselves up so much with theory there's no practice in them well that's equally error we need to have a balance of the two you need to know the doctrine and you also need to have the practical living both are important don't ever be one of those people that pleads for simplicity and says oh you're only a simple soul that's the way to end in hell warns of it Proverbs chapter 3, 4, and 5. Read about the simple. They get taken. Uh, and you don't want to be simple. Never be simple in that sense. Otherwise, you know, you'll learn the error of your ways. You need to understand doctrine. That's why Paul wrote, and Peter said he wrote things uh, which weren't easy to be understood. But they need understanding. We need to understand them. That's why you have teachers in the church. If everything was simple and you didn't need to know doctrine, you wouldn't have teachers in the church. Why would God bother? If it's that simple and you don't need teachers, then he won't bother to give you teachers. Uh, the hallelujah glory people are people of very dangerous ilk. They're after power, not after God. Uh, and we must understand that. Um, the second thing is that it's important is 
we must always look at doctrine and we must ask ourselves a question. What does it tell us about our relationship to sin? And if it doesn't put our relationship to sin in the right way, our doctrine's wrong. That means if any doctrine that I hold says that it's all right for me to go on living in sin or under grace or, or in any way kind of make sin and my relationship to sin an acceptable thing, then I need to watch. That doctrine is most certainly wrong. Uh, the evangelicals on Romans 7 have um, a real... I mean, if you ask any person who was an evangelical, ask Peter or Carolyn, they only knew about Romans 7. They thought that was the kind of chapter of the Bible, didn't you, Peter? It was the New Testament. QED, I mean, that was your experience. Romans 7, you know, uh, that which I would not, that I do, and that's all they were taught. And you were all taught that. You know, you're all failures. No one succeeds. Uh, let's all fail together. Um, isn't it sorry state? But one day God will deliver us, but he hasn't done so yet, so we're failing at the moment. Uh, and, you know, the Anglicans say their humble prayer, Lord, we're miserable sinners, we're strayed and heard from stray from our ways like lost sheep, we've left undone those things we ought to have done, we've done those things we ought not to have done, and there's no good in us, every Sunday. Terrible. Blasphemous. They don't mean it. They don't understand it. And if they were Christians, they wouldn't be saying it. But there we are. Philippians, um, th that is what we need to understand from this chapter. And back in Romans 6, Romans 6, and um, if you wonder why I go on about the Anglican Church, I'll tell you a little secret. I was brought up an Anglican. That's how I know so much about its errors. I lived in it. And I was brought up, I went to public school, and I was indoctrinated, I was confirmed by uh, uh, a bishop when I was 12, because in public school that was the thing to do, or was I 13, I'm not sure which. And the old boy leant on my neck and gave me a crick in my neck. He was so feeble and frail, he couldn't even stand on his own feet. He was a bishop, Bishop of St. Albans, Michael Alban or whatever he was. Michael Lazy Lena, I'd call him. Anyway, nothing happened, but I learned all the doctrines. Now, I try to find God in the Anglican Church, which you can't do because he doesn't live there. And uh, so I know a lot about the Anglican Church. Now, if I'd been brought up a Baptist and lived in a dead Baptist church, I'd tell you how bad the Baptist church was. But I didn't get brought up there. I got brought up in the Anglican high church set up, really. We had evangelicals come and preach, and sometimes, and um, you see, but the thing is, you can't put a new piece of cough onto an old garment. You just make the rent worse. Scripture says, and you can't put new wine into an old bottle. And anyway, it was founded in the apostasy. And therefore, it could never ever be anything but in the end the synagogue of Satan. So don't misunderstand me. That's the way it is. And most of the ministers are false ministers anyway. And if you don't like it, you'll have to lump it, because I'm preaching, not you. And that's my experience. And my chaplain was as queer as a chocolate orange, which is true of about probably two-thirds of the Anglican ministry. 
Uh, they seem to breed them, especially at Oxford, so uh, Cambridge, you know, I can't remember the name of the college now, Peter will tell me. Ridley Hall, there you are, Ridley Hall, it's riddled with it. And um, I find the whole thing obnoxious because the seat of learning uh, doesn't make you a Christian, it's the Spirit of God birthing you and breaking the power of sin within. I'm not saying that there aren't men who've had a real experience of God. Uh, I think David Watson is a man who's had a real experience of God and real encounter with God, and he has a real ministry from God. Um, I can't understand the error that he remains in. I can't understand how he can remain in that error, but I do note that he's gone into other spurious things like com commune living, which is also rather obnoxious. But I mean, if they don't come out of the thing and they remain in it, they'll end up in error. You'll always go the way downwards. You'll never go up. And you won't be able to lift a dead organization up. God doesn't give it to men to do that. But I know a lot of people who think they can stay in their church and revive it. They're that proud. I thought God bought revival, not people. But there you are. There are a lot of people who believe they can stay in and revive it. Poor, deceived little wets. And they'll learn it in that day. That's the way it is. And of course, how can you sit there and accept false doctrine and say you're a Christian? I couldn't. False prayers. It's a real thing, you know. It's the synagogue of Satan. You do understand that. That's what Paul John was talking about in Revelation. We're coming on to that in a week or two's time. I mean, it's a trailer now, you see. Um, you know, it's a trailer, but... Uh, you might not want to come and listen to that because it will upset you. Um, now, we go on to this bit of um, Romans uh, 6.12 we're at. Therefore, or let not therefore, sin reign in your mortal body. Now, sin is not to reign in your mortal body. Now, let me point something out to you that Paul doesn't say. Paul does not say, don't let sin reign in you. And the reason he doesn't say that is because in verse 2 he says, how shall we that are dead to sin? So obviously if I'm dead to sin and to the reign and rule of sin, as was pointed out in chapter 5, um, how can I possibly say to someone, don't let sin reign if you're dead to it? It can't reign. Sin can never rule in me. But, Paul says, don't let it, because these things are true, that it can never rule in your spirit and it can't possess your soul, don't let it reign in your mortal body. Now, your mortal body is something that dies. If you get a mortal wound, it's fatal. Someone's mortally wounded, it's fatal. You've got a mortal body and there's one thing about your mortal body, every day it's getting nearer the grave, isn't it? And some of us are feeling the aches and pains and strains as though our mortal body wants to step into the grave a bit quicker. Uh, seems to be getting that way. But my mortal body is the place where sin can reign. It can't reign in me because my old man doesn't exist any longer. My old nature in Adam 
It's totally gone. It was crucified with Christ. It's no longer there. Gone forever. Sin can't reign in me, Paul says. But now he says, therefore, because it can't, don't let it reign in your mortal body. Now, my mortal body speaks of my body. And just to show you that it's consistent in Scripture, I wouldn't want you to think it's only one verse. Philippians, turn with me to Philippians. And in the Philippian uh, epistle and chapter 3, And chapter 3 of Philippians, and that would be on page 280 for those who need to look. Um, verse 20, For our conversation, that's our manner of life, is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Now, my spirit has been glorified. My soul has been filled with Christ. My vile body is still vile. And I look for the Lord who's going to come and change this vile body into his glorious body. In other words, I'm going to get a glorified body like my Lord has. When he rose from the dead, he came with a glorified body. When I'm born again... I become a new man in Christ. I walk in newness of life, but I still have my old body. Everybody needs a body, and we've got one. And we've still got the same old body, haven't you? That body you were born with is round you. And that is a vile body. Now, it's a mortal body. It's going to see death. The power of sin still works in your body can't work in your spirit it can't work anywhere else because you've been delivered but therefore because you've been delivered what you've got to do is make sure it doesn't rain in your mortal body that vile body and we go on and we'll look at it also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it puts it more succinctly than ever or clearly than ever uh, where are we 1 Corinthians how are we doing? 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. I remember one day I was, I was uh, praying, seeking God's face, and I was uh, lying down praying and meditating. And God showed me, you know, a vision and showed me how I'd got a celestial body as well as a terrestrial body and how this corruption was going to put on incorruption. And I mean, glorious thing when you can see these things. Uh, and I wasn't particularly searching the scriptures or anything. I, God just opened it up to my heart and began to talk to me about how the whole thing was going to change. And it's rather like... Uh, a caterpillar becoming a butterfly, really. Um, there's a glorious time when you just put off this old and you put on the new, and I'm going to get a nice new body. And here you've got the truth in Scripture, which I found sometime later. Um, in verse 50 it says this, Now this I say, brethren, 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, you're not to let sin reign where? In your mortal body. Your mortal is going to put on immortality. In other words, your body is going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye and your body is going to become immortal and at that point sin ceases to exist in your body. Up to that point, it's there. And you better believe it. Beyond that point, it'll be gone for all eternity. Praise God. This corruption will put on incorruption and the mortal will put on immortality. So, he says in verse 54, when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. Now Christ has already put on immortality and his mortal has put on immortality because he's risen from the dead and he's got his glorified body and he can walk through walls, he can travel distances uh, and he's not limited any longer by the, uh, s- the uh, natural body at all. He's just got a glorified body. Now we're limited, we've still got our vile bodies and our corruptible hasn't put on incorruption. All right? Your mortal hasn't put on immortality. Now that's what Paul's talking about. It is your physical flesh. That's why he says flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. He's not talking about some uh, uh, sin nature. Do understand that that has gone. Your old man has gone, was crucified. And understand that Therefore, because it has, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. All right? Now, it's talking about your flesh. You'd all agree with that, flesh and blood. That's what your mortal is. Your mortal body is the body that can die. You'd all agree with that. It's important you agree with it. Right. Now, there are three things in Romans 6 we can conclude from his statement then. And these three things are important to conclude. And actually, you could call it four, but three, really. Uh, Firstly, he says, let not, therefore, sin reign in your mortal body. Now, it mustn't reign in my mortal body, but it's in my mortal body. That's why Paul writes later on, sin's ever-present with me. In me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing in my flesh sin and the power of sin works there now it lives there alright it is in my, still in my body two, second thing it must be kept under or it will rule sin must be kept under in my mortal body in my flesh it must be kept under or it's going to rule me 
And you can see that clearly displayed if you, Romans 6, verse 19, uh, we get, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. Talking about members of your body, your flesh. Speaking after the, manity, um, the infirmity of your flesh. All right, that's in the flesh. Now I've got to yield myself. I mustn't yield myself to the rule of sin. And let sin reign, I must yield myself to God. My members, that's the members of my body, must be given over to God, not to sin. All right, you'll see it again in Romans chapter 7, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Okay, now we're going to come on to explain that later on. But it's in my flesh dwells no good thing. All right? Verse 23 of that chapter says, I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Now the law of sin is in my body. It's in my members. The law of sin is not something that's ethereal outside. It's in me. In my members, in my flesh, my mortal body, the law of sin. And I've got to bring it under. All right? That law is warring against the law of my mind. Now I've got a renewed, renewed mind that wants to go God's way. So I find in my members another law that's warring and trying to bring me into captivity. And I mustn't be brought into captivity. For that's, Later on we come into that, but what we're talking about now is the law in your flesh, the law of sin in your flesh, all right? And we go on and look in verse uh, 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There you are. It's a body and it's of this death. Now the death, sin brings death. All right? And I need to realize that. Verse 25 says, uh, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now the flesh will always serve the law of sin if it's allowed to dominate you. But I don't need to let it rule and reign. Paul says, because you've been delivered from your old man, because you've been delivered from the power of sin, then don't let it reign in your mortal body because it's still there and it can reign. And the law of sin works in my members. That's the members of my body. That's where the law of sin's always working and I need to bring it under and stop it. Okay, Romans 12 verse 1. And here we get uh, a command. I beseech you, therefore, and I want to point out that the therefore is a conclusion of the verses going before in chapter 11. But I haven't time to go into chapter 11, so I will give you the conclusion and you can read the therefore and see what it was therefore from uh, in your own time. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to the world, but ye be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Now what you're to do is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now you've already put yourselves on the altar. A person puts himself on the altar when he accepts Christ. But you've got to put your bodies there. It's where the law of sin is in your members. That's why it's got to go on the sacrifice and be consumed by the fire of God. That all the dross might be burnt up. The law of sin's in my members. Now what I want to do is present my body to Christ, not yield it to sin. Do you understand? All right, let's look on then. Uh, we'll go into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 13. Um, and you know this is one that I can think some people should take note of 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 13 meats full of belly and belly full of meats now I want to say to you that uh, some people's bellies have got too big for the meats but God shall destroy both it and them. He'll destroy the meats for the belly, and he'll destroy the belly for the meats. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his own power. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Now your bodies other members of Christ. You see, what God wants to do is redeem the whole man. Now sin can reign in your body and you can give over to sin, but God wants to rule there. God wants to establish his kingdom not only in your spirit, not only in your soul, but also in your mortal body. And he can raise it up. And by his mighty power he can subdue the law of sin and death. And finally, you'll be delivered from it. So you'll just step out of this body into glory. That's what happened with Enoch. Walked with God and was not, because God took him. Well, the law of sin and death just ceased to exist with him because his walk with God became such that he went into glory. That's the truth of it. And that's what God wants to happen in our lives. In other words, sanctification, holiness. That's what God desires. And in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27... 1 Corinthians uh, 9 and verse 27. Paul says this, oh, well, let's take verse, verse 25. Here's a good verse for you people. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, if you ever want to really succeed Learn temperance. And I'm not talking about lack of alcohol. Although for some of you that would be a very, very good thing. In fact, for all of us. Um, now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Every man that strives for the mastery is temperate. Now, you need to learn that temperance is a thing that's necessary in all things. 
Don't go overboard on anything. Temperance is something that people ignore. You can become very successful in business and you can get to the top. One thing you'll lack is temperance. That's why you get to the top. If you strive for the mastery uh, and your mastery is in business, you'll become temperate in everything that'll... In other words, you won't put yourself into anything else. You'll put yourself into your business. You'll get to the top. Of course you will. But the trouble is, you won't be temperate in the right things. You'll be temperate in the wrong things. You'll be temperate in your seeking of God's face because you're striving for the mastery in one area. And if you strive in one area, there's one thing for sure, you won't be striving in the other area. You can't. You can't run. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't. Succeed in the world, lose out with God. As surely as night follows day, that will happen. You must realize that you can't have your cake and eat it in this realm. Now, does that mean we should all be failures? No, not at all. But what I want to make sure is that I strive for mastery in the things of God and everything takes second place. Temperate in all things. If I'm striving for mastery, I've heard that one before. What do you use it for? God's glory or yours? Whose ego is it building? Yours or God's? You see, in the end, you've got to choose which kingdom you serve. Mammon or God? And some of you that have spiritual bondages want to know why you've got them. I'll tell you right now why. Because you're striving for mastery in other things than in the kingdom of God. And therefore you're temperate and you give in to God. And you're spending time with God. You haven't got time to really commit yourself to the work of God. Therefore, well, you, you, you'll succeed in the wrong realm. That's the awful thing. You're stri striving for mastery in one realm. Oh, it's fine, you'll get it. Don't worry. <laughs> but God will sow leanness in your soul. So you want to watch what you worship. No man can serve two masters. He'll either love one and hate the other. Doesn't it say that? You cannot serve God and mammon. Want to know what your spiritual problem is? Don't look any further. That's it. Always is. Well, my house is the most important thing. That's right. My car's the most important thing. My wife's the most important thing. My business is the most important thing. I've got to succeed. Then I could give to God. Who comes first? You cannot serve God and mammon. Now notice it's a position of serving and notice what Paul says in Romans 6.19 to whom you yield your members instrument his servants you are. If you've yielded your whole being to God and given it over to God and God is the foremost and most important thing in your life you'll serve God. You'll be temperate in other things. If you've given yourself over to mammon you can't yield to both.
you're going one way or the other. Now, of course, if you serve mammon, you know it's all going to burn up anyway. And <laughs> you can't keep it. As they say, there's no pockets in a shroud. And you can't keep it. It's all going to burn up. And probably if the socialists get in next time, you won't be able to keep it more than a year. So you might as well get rid of it now and get glory in heaven. They can't get up there. It's one thing, God won't let them in. Glory, not to steal there. They'll steal from you down here, but there's going to be no socialists up there. Hallelujah. That's one good thing. Won't be able to steal from you up there. They're excluded in heaven. Amen. That's one of the sins, you know, in the mortal flesh that's going to be eradicated. Socialism. Evil thing. It's an evil satanical force. It works on envy. And envy is an awful thing. And envy is something that you must put to death. Saying, why should someone else have it and I can't? That's envy. It says we're not to covet our neighbor's goods. Our neighbor's husband or our neighbor's wife. Looking at some neighbor's wives, I wouldn't covet them anyway. But um, <laughs> you're not to covet other people's things. <laughs> looking at some uh, wives, you think you shouldn't covet your neighbor's ass. But there we are. Um, we'll go on. It says also here, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, where are we? Verse 25 um, we were at, weren't we? Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Now, watch out that the crown that you're really going to obtain isn't corruptible. If you're striving for the mastery and you're temperate in your, the ways of God and you're temperate in the giving to God, and the yielding of your life to God, you'll get a corruptible crown. It will be a crown. Now you might think it's a crown of glory, but you'll find it's a corruptible crown, and Christ won't want that thrown at his feet. Thank you very much. In glory, he doesn't want a corruptible crown full of mouldy maggots thrown at his feet. In fact, you won't get in there with that crown, you'll go to the other place, where they're all corruptible and elite you up. Now, you want to keep away from that crown. Um, I therefore, said Paul, so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Now, I've got to fight. This is something I've got to do. Verse 12 talks about what I must do. I mustn't yield myself um, to the reign of sin. I mustn't let my mortal body have the reign of sin. I've got to do something. I've got to fight, says Paul. And he says, uh, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection. That's my flesh, my body. I've got to bring it into subjection. The body of mine must not dictate the way that I live and go. My natural desires and impulses mustn't be the determining factor in my life. I've got to buffet them and bring them into subjection. Now, to buffet, in that sense, means to pummel or to knock senseless. If you want to put it the way Muhammad Ali, who used to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee, used to put it, knock it senseless. You've got to Get hold of the thing and you've got to buffet your body and bring these things into subjection. 
Now, they have to be dealt with by violence by you. The law of sin that's in your members has to be pummeled out and your members have to be taught that you're not going to let the reign of sin reign in your body. You're going to beat your body and you're going to beat your desires and you're going to beat the things that it wants and you're going to say, no, no, no. I'm not having it. I'm not having pride. I'm not having my ego lifted up. I'm not having these things. And you pummel your body and you bring these things into subjection. That's what Paul did. You say, but aren't I delivered from the law of sin and death? Yes, in your spirit, in your soul. But your mortal body, you've got to stop that rain being there. And you've got to pummel your body. Now, of course, you're not under the power of sin. That's why you can pummel your body and bring it into subjection. Before, there was no way you could conquer sin. Now, by God's grace, you have his spirit within, you've been delivered from your old man, and you have authority within to bring your body into subjection. It's a place you could never do as a sinner. Until you were born again, you had no hope. You couldn't help sinning. You couldn't help going that way. You couldn't help falling. You couldn't help the reign of sin. It ruled you. Spirit, soul, and body. Now it doesn't. It only... Um, is in your mortal body but you can stop it ruling there and you can drive it forth from you that is what sanctification is about dealing with sin in the flesh got it? clear? you pummel your body lest by any means says Paul when I have preached to others I myself should be a castaway Paul realized that there was a realm in my physical body where sin could get the reign and the rule and if it did and I allowed it to I myself could become a castaway from the ways of God. Now that doesn't mean that I'd be eternally lost because once I'm saved and my spirit's joined to Christ I can never be lost but I'll be saved as by fire. If you read what happens to the people in uh, the Corinthian church they're turned over to the devil that the flesh might be destroyed that they might be saved in the day of Jesus Christ their spirits might be saved but everything else in the soul realm and, and the flesh realms lost now that's not a very safe thing to rely on that type of salvation is it? Hey? who wants to be saved by the skin of your teeth the seat of your pants and the fire of God licking it I wouldn't want to be and you won't get much left of you And Paul said, he realized that, and even the great apostle Paul said, I have to buffet my body, that's my flesh, I've got to bring it into subjection, and I've got to make sure that having preached to others, I myself become a castaway. None of us can ever become complacent about the flesh. It's a continual fight till I step out of this body. Sanctification is something that I've got to fight all the time. Now, of course, each battle that I win, the fight gets easier in that area but it's something I've got to fight now if I yield I'm committing suicide and um, the third thing you want to note is that sin need not reign it doesn't have to reign that's why Paul said don't let it reign therefore in your mortal body the fourth thing is um, it's a command not to let it rain. 
It's a command, don't let it rain. Now, that command is not a passive thing, it's active. Pummeling your body and bringing it into subjection is not a passive thing, is it? Hmm? It's active. And therefore, you want to watch out for the errors. Now, these are the errors to watch out for. Never let them creep into your life. The favorite errors of the charismatics or the evangelicals. Here they go. One. Here's a glorious phrase they use, which is a total lie. Got a problem, they say, look to the Lord. That encourages passivity. I've not got to look to the Lord. I've got to pummel my body and bring it into subjection. I don't want some pious claptrap of, oh, just look to the Lord, brother. He'll set you free. Not at all. I have not to allow sin to reign in my mortal body. I've got to do something about it actively. Secondly, watch out for those who say, oh, brother, you've got a problem. Well, just allow the Lord to live his life in you. You know, allow him to live his life out through you. That's error. Total error. I've got to buffet my body and bring it into subjection. I'm not to allow sin to reign in my mortal body. It's not that I just allow the Lord to live his life. I've got to do something active. Or here's the other error. You, you know, evangelicals, they like to grab hold of catchphrases. Let go and let God. You know, someone's written a book on that. Stupid man. Let go and let God. That's rubbish. That's the, it's um, the wrong attitude. Passivity is the enemy of sanctification. I cannot be passive. I've got to be active. It's a work that God expects me to do. He did the work of delivering me from my old man. He delivered me from the power of sin. I'm baptized into Christ's death and into his resurrection. But I must not let sin reign in my mortal body. I must yield my members as instruments of righteousness. I must pummel my body and bring it into subjection. That's something I have to do. Because the law of sin's working in my members and that's where I need to deal with it. It's not something God will do for me. It's no good saying let go and let God. He won't. It's no good saying I look to the Lord. You can look to the Lord as long as you like. If you won't buffet your body and do something about it, you'll go to hell. Because your salvation won't be real. And it's no good saying, oh, just let the Lord live his life in you. Because he's not going to live it in carnal flesh that's following the ways of unrighteousness. Now you do understand that. That's why I get very angry with people who won't get up with grit and fight. Paul said he fought. It's a vicious word. I fight, I pummel. Not, I kind of all look to the Lord and, you know, um, let go and let God. And, oh, dear. Isn't it terrible? They're errors. Avoid them. We're in a battle. We're in a war. We fight the enemy of our soul. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but at principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in high places. 
And what I've got to do, I've got to pummel my body and bring it into subjection. I mustn't let my body rule. I mustn't let the things that drive my body rule my life. I've got to fight it. They must not reign. Sin is not to reign. Now it's something I've got to do. Now passivity will take you totally out of the way of God. And that's why Paul said, I mean, preach to others, I myself become a castaway, says Paul. It could happen. That's what Paul's saying. You don't think he, he meant it kind of in a pious way that some people will pray prayers and say, oh Lord, you know, I would that I could lay down my life for my friend. The liars. Just a pious platitude. They want to shut their mouths. No one wants to lay down his life for a friend if he can avoid it. Jesus laid down his life for us. But I want to tell you, I doubt that you'd be prepared to die for me if the chips were down. And I want to tell you, I'm not sure that I could die for you either. So don't feel bad about it. I mean, when the chips are really down, by the grace of God, we might lay our lives down for each other. We should. But we'll have to pummel our bodies and bring them into subjection. We mustn't let sin rule. And self-preservation is one of the strongest things that's in man. Isn't it? So don't get pious. Be honest. Hmm? Honesty never hurt anyone. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. There's a lot in Romans, really, when you look at it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Look at this. Here's this mighty man, Paul, writing to the Philippian church. And in chapter 2, verse 12, we get these glorious words, Wherefore, and may I point out that the wherefore refers to what's gone before, and when you've got time, read it yourself. This is the conclusion to what's gone before. Uh, well, let's go up. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in verse 10. Of eleven, every tongue shall confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now you've got to work it out. God's worked it into you. You work it out. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. But you have to work it out. Now that's not passive. You've got to work at it, fella. You've got to work at it. And it then goes on and says this. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Some of you could take note. The worst thing to have is murmurs, discontents. Once you start murmuring and moaning about something, you're already lost spiritually. You've lost a chance to flow in God. Murmurers. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. Amen. That's what you want to do, isn't it? Hold forth the word of life, shining as lights. Isn't that what you want to do? Got to buffet your body. Do it without murmuring. 
Don't tell everyone how hard it is or how much you're having to give up and what sacrifices you're having to make. They're puny. Get on with it without murmuring and disputing. It's kind of straight, isn't it? Dear old Paul, he puts it down bluntly. There's a lot of people that suffer, suffer for Jesus. And they'll let you know every inch and ounce of their suffering, every groan and creak, they'll tell you about it. Murmur, 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 murmur. Why does God let this happen to me? Why does God let that happen? Because you won't shut up. When you learn to stop murmuring, then he'll let something nice happen to you for a change. Okay, uh, we go on. Um, sanctification uh, by the Spirit's got to be worked out in my life. I've got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. I've got to work it out in my life. It's not something that's passive. That's why Paul asked the question in Romans chapter 6 verse 1. How can we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can we? If we know these things are true of us, that we're delivered from the old man, that God's delivered us from the power of sin, how could we go on in our old ways? We've got to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We've got to pummel our bodies and bring them into subjection. We've got to realize the flesh mustn't have dominance. That's what Paul's saying. Look on in um, Titus. Let's go to Titus. Okay, and in Titus, uh, and you'll find that in page 300, And in Titus, chapter 2, it says this, uh, or verse 13, let's take, oh no, verse 12, okay? Or verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now look, we're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, and it's possible. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, God wanted and God redeemed us and Jesus redeemed us to make us a people zealous of good works, a peculiar people, a holy people, a godly people. How can we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Mortify your members that are upon the, the earth. You're crucified with Christ. Your old man's gone. How could you carry on in sin? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't let it ever reign in you. It doesn't have to. It never should. You should be zealous of good works. You should live homely, holy, harmless, and without rebuke in a cro crooked and perverse generation amongst whom you should shine as light. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we don't want sin to reign in our mortal bodies. Forgive us, O oh God, for the passivity we've had when we haven't pummeled our bodies and seen the necessity of bringing things into subjection to your word and to your way. Lord, put a fighting spirit within us that won't let our flesh dominate, that won't allow sin to rule. Put a zealousness within us, zealousness for good works, for holy living, for walking undefiled in this present world. Lord, teach us, quicken us by your Spirit, and keep us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'd only got about two-thirds of the way through what I was going to say, but I noticed it's ten past one, and I shall spare you. Um, tonight, we're in the ballroom at half past seven, and Tuesday, don't forget, the prayer meeting's at 7 a.m. and 7.45 in the concert room. Uh, Saturday, this coming Saturday, parents of children, don't forget the children have a normal school day on Saturday. Parents meet at 10 and then you'll be able to see your children actually at work uh, and see how the school runs, ask any questions you've got, any things that have arisen over the last week and give you a good chance to see the school running as the school. Uh, we're doing it on Saturday. Now, the children will work Saturday mornings. Lunch will be provided. Um, but it gives the parents who would like to see the school operating and work a chance to actually see it operating and to understand what's going on. All right? Box for your tithes and offerings. Books on the bookstore. And anything else, wrote David. Yes. You mean you borrowed it? Yeah, that as well. Who, who's lost their Red Parker pen? John has it. Carolyn or Joe? It's Joe's, is it? Joe's nodding out the back. Oh, well, Joe, Joe, you can have it back. Okay. Well, there you are. You can have a look at the plan if you'd like to of our new building. It'll be here. And God willing, we'll see you all tonight. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll put the plan at the back on the table so you can see it. Okay.